Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Libraries podcast. As part of the Lord Mayor's Big Read, we're inviting interesting local people to share recommendations for the books they love. In this episode, I chat with Sheffield-based documentary photographer and filmmaker Gemma Thorpe. As well as chatting books, we also discuss local hero and green queen of Sheffield, Ethel Haythorn-Thwaite, and how you can discover her story through a new augmented reality app created by Gemma as part of the National Story Trails project. I hope you enjoy the episode. So, Gemma Thorpe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. So, Gemma, you are a Sheffield-based documentary photographer and filmmaker. Can you tell us a bit more about um, about your work and, and how you came to it? Yes, definitely. Yeah, um, I've been working with photography and film in, in a sort of the world of documentary for more than 10 years now, um, maybe 15, in fact. And um, I started by, I actually studied geography at the University of Sheffield. Um, and through my studies in geography, which were very much about people and places and sort of became more interested in representation and how do we how do we visually talk about people and places and and the connections between the two as well and uh, I started to look at photography as as within the realm of geography of how how we can how we can do that and that led me to want to become a photographer myself through some of the work that I was looking at and um, I remember going to an exhibition in Edinburgh about William Klein with my mum and he was a photographer in New York in the 50s and photographed in this really quite sort of kinetic way, like quite energetic way of showing life in a city. And it felt like he was representing all the things I'd read about in books about urban areas and cities and, you know, the kind of physical geography of, of the urban area and of towns and, and cities that he he kind of had this quite poetic way of describing it visually that that spoke to me on quite a deep level and, and actually you know that looked like a really amazing way to 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 kind of talk about geography I suppose but also to describe something that I, I do love books and I love reading but I really yeah I, I'm obviously quite a visual person and and yeah here was this photographer that had captured everything I'd read about in a much more immediate way in a much more almost democratic way as well and so from that I um yeah I sort of began looking more into photography and then decided I think that's that's what I would like to do so after my degree I went to art college in Leeds and did a um a two-year course in photography which was quite kind of practical but also you know kind of pushing your creativity and following that or during that sorry that I became aware of the a course in photojournalism that you could do a master's degree in international photojournalism and documentary photography in China I was like oh wow okay this sounds interesting um and I'd at that point I was quite keen to travel and to live abroad and I'd sort of intended maybe go and teach English or you know spend try and find some work abroad or to spend longer in a place and um and China was somewhere that I'd quite wanted to go to for a while and the, yeah the course provided the opportunity. Amazing I, oh there's so much to go out there I, I love the idea of photography and documentary photography being a kind of more democratic way in mm, definitely. I, I never thought of it like that of course that makes so much sense again I hadn't really thought about it before but 
the ability of a photographer to capture something which in some cases might always be there and which we might see all the time and yet somehow make it visible there's a magic to that isn't there Wow. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I believe so. And it's so accessible as well. Everyone can do it. And that's that's the beauty of it as well. And, you know, we can, yeah, we can all snap away with our phones. But if you really stop and think what, what if you take, start to maybe take it a bit more seriously, what what is this about? Or it's, yeah, it's like you said, it bring it seems to just bring to light perhaps what's unseen before, or you try and look at things in a different way. Let's talk about Story Trails, a project that you've been working on, which is something different and a kind of a a different angle that you've taken but again you through story trails have taken a story that maybe wasn't that well known wasn't that visible and you've kind of opened people's eyes can you tell us a bit more about that yes for sure yeah yeah the story trails project that i worked on this year um though it's a nationwide project story trails um executive produced by david olashoga and there were i think it was 12 cities or towns in the end that each place had a number of um, activities that in the summer people could go and access but for the beginning part of the year myself and 50 other creatives from the UK who were selected to to work on the on the projects we were tasked with um, sort of finding a, a story in our town or city that that perhaps had been hidden in history and David Olashoga was really keen for us to to think about that quite deep the, the premise was to find someone that, that had kind of had an impact on your town perhaps or your city that that we could bring to light and and showcase using new technology. So using immersive technology such as augmented reality to um, tell a story in a new, innovative, exciting way that had resonance for people who lived there, that would bring people back into city centres, that would bring people back to the library to um, reconnect as well with our towns and our cities and who, who we are, where we've come from. Um, and as part of this process, I, I sort of thought I'd quite like to do something about the outdoors and and um, the how green Sheffield is, I suppose, and, and take it away from that still quite stereotypical image of an industrial northern city, which obviously is who we are and where we've come from. And it's crucial that we recognise that. But I felt like perhaps that has been recognised quite a lot already in various forms of media. And um I sort of wanted to get to the heart of why I feel quite connected to the outdoors here and certainly my parents do and my grandparents before were quite proud of the, the amount of green space in Sheffield and um, thanks to the help of librarians in fact and the archives they I was directed towards an incredible character Ethel Haythornthwaite who I, I hadn't heard of before um, and she she spent her life trying to protect the countryside in and around Sheffield and she she worked in a way that now we would recognize as an influencer or or you know a um, crowdfunder she was a campaigner and a curator and she did all of these things that, that now to us are like oh you know that's what people do we we curate artwork and you know anyone can set up a crowdfunding campaign but this was the 1930s and she set up a, a campaign to to raise funds to buy the longshore estate which was going to be developed on and she handed it back to the national trust and she fought for the National Park, the Peach District, to become the first national park of all of the national parks in 1951. And she was on the boards of the board of the National Parks Committee during the war. Um, so she did all of this work, set up a charity when most women couldn't vote in 1924. Um, she lived um, where the student village is now, the Sheff University of Sheffield Student Village. Uh, she had a house, the family house was there. 
Um, she had the first meetings for the charity there, and, th and that's where all her work was based. Um, and the charity she set up is still running today, and they had just begun to hand over her archive to the Sheffield City Archives. So fortunately, they let me get in there and have a rummage around in the boxes. And they're actually, we had a wealth of archive material from the BFI and from the BBC and from the Yorkshire Film Archive to look through to help us decide on our story for Story Trails. Um, and there were some really beautiful sort of bits of, um, you know, of people in the countryside, people out in the Peak District, but it was there was nothing to be found of Ethel. And in fact, she only appeared, we, we know as at the moment that she's only on one piece of film footage that the archivist at the charity, Caroline Bolton found, and we got it digitized at the Yorkshire Film Archive and saw for the first time Ethel on the screen, which was quite amazing. And it was the, the moment when she handed over the deeds for Longshore, for a, an extra bit of land for Longshore to the National Trust. Um, so I had all of this material, I had this bit of archive, some sort of contextual national archive from the BFI. There were these beautiful photographs of Ethel in the garden of her house, um, which were incredible and they, they weren't digitised either, so they hadn't really been seen before. And there were all of these minutes and notes from all of the charities meetings. There were exhibition invitations, there were painted, beautiful painted posters for some of the lantern side talks that she did in and around the city centre. So she did, she spent her life really in the countryside, but she did a lot of her work in, you know, to persuade people in positions of power and persuade basically the men with money and, and the wherewithal to make decisions that they ought to look after this land. And we, we as Sheffield people ought to have the right to, to enjoy it and to breathe in the fresh air that was much needed because Sheffield was obviously quite smoggy and industrial at that time. Um, yeah, and I was just I was just a bit sad that I didn't know about her before and she did all of this incredible work. It seems amazing, doesn't it? I, I was out at the Longshore Estate the other day, enjoying it alongside no doubt thousands of other people. And you completely take it for granted because it's it's there, it's always been there and it feels that way. And so few people have ever heard of Ethel Haythornbury, and yet we owe her such a debt. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And one hope for the project is that, you know, we can kind of celebrate her and recognise her and and that especially young people become aware of her and understand what she did. And, and hopefully she was quite sort of, from what I understand, she was quite sort, sort of um, didn't really like the limelight. And one of my one of the battles while doing the project was thinking, oh, I've done this augmented reality project like quite kind of new technological sort of interpretation of storytelling when you go to a place and you hold up your phone the gps will register where you are and then if you're in the tudor square with using the app ethel will appear in a really big picture of ethel she's huge <laughs> and i just wondered oh no maybe she'd hate that <laughs> she would she didn't want to be sort of seen in that way and, but i hope that give me but also they always there and there was a, a young family doing the augmented reality trail and a boy when he held the phone up and he he went there's Ethel and ran towards her so it's like oh well if there's somebody young that learns about her and learns why you know it might trigger them to think about how we can look after nature and how we can protect our green spaces and I, I think she would forgive me. <laughs> I think so too I, I think she's a hugely inspiring figure and I mean, we know that people are out there enjoying this augmented reality trail and we'd love to see many, many more doing it as well. 
So, I mean, to, to use this, you just download the Story Trails app to your phone? That's right. Yeah, you can. Yeah, both iPhones, Android, um, using the, however, if you get your apps from the Story Trails, so you just download that, um, go to the library, in fact, and I think there's still a sticker on the floor that shows where it starts, and then you can just follow the instructions. It's probably recommended to take headphones and Paula Edwards narrates the trail so you have a lovely warm Sheffield voice to guide you around and can discover the story of Ethel and how she came to be the green queen of Sheffield. Excellent excellent check it out everyone. So you well this this podcast is part of the Lord Mayor's Big Read and we're asking interesting Sheffielders to recommend some of their favourite books and you've got a few books to share with us. So um, I have. Yeah, look, let's kick off. What's your first book? Excellent. Yes. Um, my first book is Invisible Man. It's by Ralph Ellison. And it was one of the first books that I read, I guess, as a young adult that really stayed with me. Um, so when, yeah, when we were speaking about doing the podcast, that that's one of the, that sort of jumped to the forefront of my mind. And I actually hadn't read it for quite a long time, but it still stays with me. Um, yeah, so I read it when I was 18 years old. And I remember my granny had given me some book vouchers for my birthday. And I went off down to Waterstones and oh, I've got 50 pounds to spend on books, wow. um, which was very exciting. <laughs> and at the time, I, I loved English at school. I did, I did GCSE, but in my A-levels, I really wanted to study geography which I then did for my degree and I loved languages as well and and so I didn't I didn't continue studying English and I felt a bit sad that I was sort of missing out so my granny gave me these book vouchers and I thought oh I can carry I can still read <laughs> obviously in my own in my own on my own terms um and it was one of the books that was recommended so in the bookshop often there are little notes underneath some of the books that perhaps the staff recommend and, and it, I sort of read the recommendation I thought oh, okay that's going to be one of my books and um, I remember staying up late at night reading it and thinking oh, I should go to sleep, but it just, I found it really gripping and I found it to be very visual. And the image of it, it, the narrator is an unnamed African-American man. He lives in an underground room wired with over a thousand electric lights. That tapped, he's tapped into the city's electric grid. And that image just has stayed with me ever since of this room full of light bulbs on a person that, is invisible because people refuse to see him but in his room he is who he is on his own terms and yeah obviously explores a lot of issues of race in, in America at that time but it's also about personal identity and I think it you know sort of looking back I think it spoke to me about how how, how do we identify ourselves how do we want to be seen rather than how society sees us um yeah and I think Perhaps in my work, I try to really think about that. You obviously constantly looking when you work with lens-based media. If you're working with photography, you can only photograph what's there. So you're looking around and you're seeing things on a very basic level. It might be colours and shapes, but you're kind of drawn to details. And certainly, I'm drawn to people and characters. But how how do you see them? How do you go beneath the surface and work with people in a way? that you can show them how they are, how they want to be seen. And I don't know, it's a bit cringy, but you might say their authentic self. Um, but I do believe in that. And um, yeah, I, st I wonder whether those ideas sort of came from the book. It's amazing, isn't it, how the books we read 
at those times in our life, in our life, it do stick with us and do influence us. I, I remember reading a quote, I can't, I can't tell you who it was from, but it's years ago. I probably read it when I was about that age. It, it went something along the lines of you look into a, a man's library and you see into his soul. Mm-hmm. I think the point is that really the books we read do shape us. There's, um, there's a power to them. Yeah, yeah. So that was The Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. What about your second book? The second book is one that I read not so long ago, but also it was published a little while ago. It's published in 1976 and it's by Maxine Hong Kingston and it's called The Woman Warrior, Memoirs of a Girlhood Among Ghosts. Um, I had never read anything like this before. It's absolutely incredible. It totally blew my mind of how, well, how you might write and how you might tell stories. And it's it's autobiographical. She blends her autobiography with Chinese folk tales with what what she calls talk story, the stories that are passed through from her mother and from previous generations. And she talks about her identity and to do with emigration and identity as well as a a Chinese woman living in America, growing up in a Chinese family and feeling, I think, a conflict between the perhaps the traditions of home or the, the sense of needing to continue things at home in a different way perhaps to the outside and then a bit there's quite a bit of conflict there between about how to live within and between cultures and where we feel a sense of belonging again how we can kind of be ourselves so this theme of identity is something that I'm really drawn to as well and sort of work a lot with but yeah it's just really lyrical and um quite well yeah like I said I hadn't read anything like this before that this kind of blend of storytelling style and I read that she sometimes would think in Chinese and but type in English write in English Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah so it's that kind of exploration of these different selves that we have yeah and how do we how do we write about ourselves how do we tell the stories about ourselves and you you speak Chinese, right? You speak Mandarin. Uh, I can speak Mandarin. Yeah, I can hold. I can hold a conversation. I wouldn't say I'm perfectly fluent, but yeah, I can. I can sort of live in with with Mandarin as a language. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, um, and because you, you mentioned earlier, you spent considerable time in China and um, and traveling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and um, here as well in Sheffield, I've, I've worked on a number of projects with people of, of Chinese origin that are living here, um, both younger Chinese international students and then older Chinese residents. And I did a project a few years ago with older Chinese residents with the help of the Chinese Community Centre on London Road, a lot of whom had come over Sheffield in the 1970s. Um, and we talked a lot about identity and a sense of home and those kind of ideas, I think, that came up in Maxine Hong Kingston's book of how how we sort of exist in these different worlds all at once. Um, so it, yeah, it, it, I think reading the book brought back some of those conversations and she writes a lot about silence as well. When do we talk about things? How do we choose when to tell things? And should we tell things? And who, if we don't, who bears that burden of silence? And she, I think she expresses feeling quite frustrated about that in a sense compared to the freedom of life that she can have in America. And yeah, I guess it's about how we find the strength to be who we are, which which I'm quite drawn to. Yeah. <laughs> Big questions, but kind of, the kind of questions that sometimes I think you need to sit down with a book and read and reflect on. Because when when do we have the time 
in normal day-to-day -day life and conversation to actually you know, tackle those kind of questions. Um, that sounds Absolutely, like yeah. Read. Super. So your third book sounds brilliant. Um, I think long out of print, although we do we do have a copy buried away in the central library stack somewhere. Um, can you tell us about it? Yes, my third choice is, um, I guess, slightly niche perhaps, but it's called The Gobi Desert. And it's by Mildred Cable with Francesca French. And it was first published, I think, in 1943. Um, yeah, and it's I, it was published as a, as a travel book. Um, the copy I have is, yeah, it's a, it's a sort of traveller's kind of compendium, I suppose. So it's, it's part of a series of writing that that came out um, probably, I think, aimed at sort of armchair traveller back home, people that, that may not have the opportunity to go to different places. But yeah, in a, I guess in a similar way to Ethel, Mildred chose to live a different life. Um, she lived in China for over 20 years and she travelled across the Gobi Desert in the 1930s, the first English woman to cross the desert um, with her two friends, the sisters, Francesca and Eva French, and they had a camel cart full of Bibles. So wow. she traveled across the sort of vast expanse of the desert. They visited these oasis towns in Western China and into Xinjiang. Um, yeah, so she was a missionary. Um, I at the time of reading about her I, you know I did wonder well would it be possible for a single woman a trio of single women to take such an adventure without the calling as it were you know would that have been possible and perhaps for some people this was a way to travel to to find independence um but the way she wrote was it was quite amazing the way she writes about the landscape and the way she writes about the people and the places that they visited and encountered. And she writes about the importance of journeys being about meeting with people and understanding, you know, how they live and a sort of exchange of knowledge, I think, rather than a, a, a simple passing through. Yeah. I mean, it seems amazing to me, this, well, I guess it's, it's a group of women very much doing it for themselves, but in a different time and in a different country um and we're talking thousands of miles yeah <laughs> decades uh it's it's yeah yeah it's quite something yeah um and you you've have you retraced their steps have I got that's that right? right yeah that's correct yeah so I yeah I was in I was drawing my MA in fact when I was in Dalian and um, was researching we had to sort of do a travelogue um project and I was I'd, I'd wanted to go along visit the sort of the Silk Roads and do something about the old Silk Road and then I came across Mildred wow this is amazing here's this incredible woman that made this journey and in the back of the book is a map so I, I used the map and I used the book like a lonely planet <laughs> and followed this route by taxi by train by bus and also by camel <laughs> and I had I took the book with me and in in some of the villages that you know we'd talk about the book and show the photos and yeah we yeah I read a lot of her descriptions of the landscape and was considering how to photograph that in the sort of style of writing of, of how to, I guess, sort of honour a piece of writing in a visual way while kind of undertaking a, an adventure in the, in the same way that they did. Yeah. 
Sounds, sounds truly astonishing. As a librarian, I can't recommend anyone uses a travel guide that's eight years old, but what an adventure. <laughs> she had a really beautiful way of, yeah, of describing the landscape. And there was a, a line sort of at the back of the book that I'd quite like to share, if that's okay. About, Please do. Um, when, they, when they'd returned home and, and she said, the journey of memories was over. The wings of imagination were refolded. And I was back in the quiet room from which we'd set out on these long wander years. I, I quite like that image of the wings. You sort of, I don't know, I, I love the sense of travel and adventure and being in a new place ever since I was a child. I always loved sleeping in different beds. Like when you go into someone else's house, oh, I'm in a, new, a new place and the sense of the unknown and possibility. And that, that to me is sort of an opening of her wings. And I quite like her description of the reflection sort of wrapping these wings perhaps around yourself while you consider what it is that you've seen and experienced yeah <laughs> that's really beautiful well Gemma huge thank you for coming on it's been um, it's been lovely speaking to you and hearing about these these brilliant reads and the story trails project um the AR trail is is fabulous and well worth um taking the trip into town to to explore and to learn more about Ethel so thank you for sharing before you go thank you so um, much is there, is there anywhere people should go to find out more about your work? Yes, yeah, certainly. Yes, I have a website and it is www.gemmathorpe.com. Um, there is um, a bit of recent work on there in film and a, a couple of photography galleries as well. Yeah. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice to chat to you. Well, thanks for listening. And of course, thanks to Gemma Thorpe. If you'd like to discover more about the life and legacy of Ethel Haythornthwaite, download the Storytrails app from your app store. You've been listening to the Sheffield Libraries podcast. I hope you'll join us again.